Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 29 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 29 of Inside Quizzing, we are going to actually go in a little bit of a time machine and go back in time just a couple of weeks. Uh, so just this last weekend, we had a fantastic district meet in Dallas, Oregon, uh, our district uh, district meet number three, but included in the material that we quizzed on at uh, Dallas was John chapters uh, 10 and 11, and we didn't have an opportunity to record a podcast prior to the meet to actually get a chapter review in on that. So we're going to kind of reverse time a little bit and do that. And then after that, talk about uh, district meet number three and several situations, several questions and sort of rulings and, and things that came up at the meet that are very interesting uh, and kind of walk our way through some of those things. And uh, we've got some miscellaneous sort of questions to discuss and if we have time, and we'll see if we can get there, we have a set of rules ideas that we want to banter about, and hopefully we'll be able to get through all of that. And without much ado, let's just move straight into our Chapter 10 review. So Scott, what are your thoughts about Chapter 10? I think 10 is a good chapter to learn, even, and when I say good, I mean kind of relative to some of the other chapters. It's a nice length, it's 42 verses, which is kind of in the middle there's unique stuff kind of throughout. There's good um, unique words and unique phrases. And a lot of the unique words are really, really well suited to interrogative and multiple answer questions. So it's very likely to see most of these unique words at the beginning of interrogative or multiple answer questions. In addition, they're talking about sheep in this one. And I don't know if it just sticks out in, in my head because sheep are cool. Um, but there were a lot of questions at the meet where the answer was sheep and they were, they were no jumps. Um, and for some reason, sheep and shepherd and thieves and robbers and the gatekeeper and the stranger and the wolf, there seems to be a lot of, a lot of words here that would be more easily grasping onto than some of the other content in John. There's also not a ton of key verses. So key verse quizzers may be less able to get a lot of these questions. So if you're a quizzer, I'd really recommend memorizing that, you know, the first bit, at least of chapter 10, there's unique stuff. It should be memorable and there should be a lot of interrogative and multiple answers, which are quote unquote easier questions off off of those sections of the chapter. Yeah, uh, my thoughts exactly. I, I don't recommend only memorizing parts of a chapter. If you can all uh, get to it, I recommend going after the entirety of a chapter, uh, even if you have to skip a chapter to have you know, if you have like, say, two chapters, better to memorize one of them fully rather than both of them at 50%. But that being said, if you're looking at parts of chapter 10 uh, to memorize, uh, I, you know, look at, say, verses 8 through like verses 18 for a lot of the reasons that Scott just talked about. You know, there's a lot of great keyword questions there. Wolf is something that comes up in, in verse 12. There were at least two I think questions, I think they were uh, interrogative standard inter interrogatives in my room uh, this last meet where wolf came up or something about wolf attacks or something. And uh, they were no jumps, uh, which was kind of surprising. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a unique word in, in verse 12 and it's a fairly memorable verse. It's, it's a little bit, you know, longer than average, let's say, but it's not, you know, horrifically long. And there's a lot of questions that can come out of it. And then of course, from eight, nine, 10, you've got, uh, you know, uh, key verses and, uh, you know, verse 11 is a quote only verse 14 is a quote, these two verses along with 15. 
Uh, 17 and 18 are, you know, uh, finished these two verses, uh, options there. So, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of very interesting uh, material that you can grab just from those, uh, set of verses. I definitely think so. I remember asking what opponents, it was a no jump, uh, chapter reference, what festival, that was a no jump. Um, and then a, some of the, some questions early on where the answer was sheep, there were also no jumps. Yeah. And well, and speaking of festival, right? I mean, festival is one of those words where you should definitely be looking at all of the instances of festival across the material, uh, because those are great, uh, chapter reference questions. And, uh, there were definitely some confusion, uh, at least in my room, there was some confusion on which festival we might be talking about based on the chapter. And if you can, you know, write out a list and, and get to memory, you know, okay, festival of dedication at Jerusalem is in 10 versus festival of tabernacles, which, you know, in a different chapter and so forth, it, it gives you a leg up. And there were, there, I think there were, I don't think there was a, I don't think there were no jumps on festival questions, but I think there were some errors on chapter reference festival questions in my room, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, definitely. I think I saw some errors on reference questions where I think the quizzers heard the question and knew an answer that worked and so decided to roll the dice on it and ended up being incorrect. It was, a you know, the answer to a different chapter reference question. Um, but I definitely think a little bit of work, especially in words like festival, those can be among the easier chapter reference questions to get. Moving on to chapter 11, this is an interesting chapter. It's pretty long. There's 50, 57 verses, and th- there is a good story um, in it, but... I think there are large chunks of it that are going to be fairly hard to memorize. And in the beginning part, there are there's a lot of talk of Mary and her sister Martha, and then the sisters, and Mary this and Martha that. And there were a few cases of quizzers um, asked a question like who, yada yada yada, and they would mix, they would give the incorrect one, Martha versus Mary. And so it's just you know a place where it's going to be very helpful to make sure you know which proper name is in which section um, and and to know the material well enough to quote a verse correctly and not have to guess if it's Mary or if it's Martha in in that verse. This chapter is also pretty devoid of key verses. looks like there's fewer than 10 verses that are key in PNW in this chapter. Um, There is a lot of very narrative material, which can be easy and can be difficult depending on how well you want to memorize the material. I always wanted to memorize it really, really well and getting all the little connecting words like he asked or he said to them or they, um, then they said, I found those to be very, very difficult. Um, those are some of the main things that I found. How about you, Griffin? Yeah, similar thoughts. Uh, one thing that kind of popped into my head was that there's a fair number of situation questions that can be asked from this chapter. So if you are specializing on sits, this would definitely be something to, to dive into. Be really careful as you're working through here. If you are specializing in sits, I think it's almost I don't know. I mean, correct me if you think I'm wrong here on this one. It seems to me that if you're going to specialize on sits for this or really any chapter, you almost have to write out the situation question that, that appears in each thing. It's, it's more, I think you have to do more than just rote memorizing a particular verse to be able to prepare for those. But if you do, if you put in that, that effort, I think there's quite a number of no jumps. Uh, or actually not even so much noted. I mean, a lot, there's a lot of no jumps on, on situation questions, but I think there's a lot of slow jumps 
on situation questions where uh, folks wait until the end of the quote and then jump uh, to to get the answer. And if you can beat somebody even by just a few words, uh, you've got a clear field uh, on that. So like I, I remember there was one particular quizzer, I, I don't want to embarrass him, but in my room where... Uh, he was pretty well, you know, prepared for situation questions and, uh, he would usually wait until about two words before the end of the quote and then he would jump and, and it was trivial for him to answer the questions because you'd only have to throw in a couple of extra words of the quote, get quote as complete. He'd answer it, you know, Jesus, Lazarus, whomever, uh, in whatever, you know, sort of answer that I needed for the situation question. And it was, it was both a joy to quiz master in those situations from my perspective. And it was, it was really impressive to see the kind of strategy that this quizzer was employing with situation questions. And I was like, like, that's, that's a smart way to do it. Knowing that it's a very high likelihood that nearly the entire quote or probably the entire quote of the situation is going to get out before a jump and then beating it by just a word or two and then finishing it off. But anyway, Scott, what do you think? Situation questions are a pretty unique beast. I think you either have to know the entire material very well or you have to work hard um, kind of making yourself a study list of situation questions. And unlike some other types... I don't think um, the constructing and making of a study list for situation questions is of any use unless you do it completely. Um, so I think you're going to want to list out all of the um, quotations that could be the basis for situation questions and then also write out which um, potential situation questions might be asked on them. And if there are certain quotations that are maybe two verses and they're very long, or if you see a good when and where along with the who said it, um, you you might deem those to be too difficult and want to stay away from those, but there will be plenty of quotations that are going to be short because the only valid way is they're just a short quotation and often just a who said it. But to know those things, you have to go and put together the study list. Situation questions are incredibly variable. You're going to get... Um, you know, your brother will rise again. Jesus said it. You're going to get something very simple like that, and then you're going to get two entire verses as the quotation with three situation questions, one of which is a pronoun that needs to be clarified two verses back. So you're going to get, like, this incredible range, which um, if you want to jump on them at a competitive rate, you know, at three or four or five syllables, you have to kind of be prepared for the hardest of them or be willing to take an air if you happen to jump on the very hard ones. Or if you make that list and you know, like, hey, of the 50 situation quotations that are the shortest, um, maybe I want to learn these cold, and if I hear the first two or three syllables of one, jump then. And I think that can be a useful strategy too. But you kind of have to do the whole um, body of study before you're going to really start getting value from them. Yeah, potentially. But, but I mean, think about the counter argument though, right? If you know that in, now granted, there are certain teams that you're going to face and certain quizzers you're going to face where, you know, they can jump on the, on a certain number of, of uh, syllables, first couple of words, that kind of thing on, on uh, situation questions. So the strategy breaks down. But for the most part, in most of your quizzes at the district level, 
I mean, at least in my room, the entire quote would go out before anybody would ever jump. And in fact, there were a lot of times the entire quote would go out there and it would be a no jump, right? So in that sort of a universe, you don't necessarily have to memorize like like the, the length of the quote sort of becomes irrelevant right as long as you recognize the quote and you know the last couple of words and you can jump you know reliably towards the last couple of words you really only have to recognize the material have a couple of words memorized of the quote at the end and then the answer for it so i mean that kind of opens up a lot of territory i think for some some strategic memorization and that was that was one of the things where that i that i noticed of this particular quizzer uh it, jumping in my room it, it seems like he had kind of keyed into that that sort of idea of, of saying like i don't actually have to jump within the first word or two i i only have to jump one or one and a half words before the end and i will get virtually every situation question Sure. Yeah. And I think that the bar is low enough that you can put in some work on situation questions and get a few. But I think if you put in some work, um, it could be highly variable whether you get zero, one or two in a given quiz. And you could have a, definitely a couple quiz dry spell for situation questions. And even if you're expecting the entire quote to be read on every single situation question, the range of difficulty of the questions asked on that quotation range wildly. And yes, so, yeah. So, I mean, you kind of have to be either know which quotes um, are just a Jesus said it, which would take a lot of work to know those, right? Um, or you're prepared for all of the, you know, I know this one's chief priests and Pharisees. I know this one is just Pharisees. I know this one is when evening came, um, which I think is a lot of work, even if you are assuming you never have to know the, um, the quotation at all. You still have to be able to match the quotation to the, the situation question and answers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's certainly going to be to do it effectively as a strategy would take more work than memorizing the key verses. And the with the key verses, the thing is, if you're a key verse quizzer and you have those down sufficiently where you can actually jump effectively with a with a reasonably low error rate on on quotes and finish the verses and so forth, there's a very good likelihood that you're going to quiz out. Uh, maybe not all the time, but there's a pretty good chance you're going to you're you, you can get to four questions uh, in a quiz. You might go, you know, four and one, four and two, that kind of thing. You may not always get four and zero, but there's a there's a pretty good chance you, you can get to four depending on, you know, the jump speed and who you're competing against and so forth. If you are if you employ the situation strategy that I'm proposing in the best of cases, you can get a couple of questions, maybe three questions or something, but like it would be really hard to quiz out on a strategy like that. Sure. And I think it depends what your goals are. I think a quizzer could put in five to 10 hours of study on situation questions and get 75% of the ones asked to them at the next quiz meet um, because there's really no competition on them right now. Whereas if, if a quizzer put in five to 10 hours of work on key verse questions, maybe they'd get one a quiz but they will definitely run into quizzes where they won't get any because there are quizzers prepared who will jump on a couple syllables and beat them every time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it might be, it might be something interesting to look at, you know, if, uh, if you have a keeper specialist on your team already, uh, and you're not that person, uh, this might be an interesting thing to add to your repertoire. Absolutely. I had one more question for you on chapter 11, Griffin in verse 20. 
it says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And I'm just using this as an example um, because this verse and sentence and phrase starts with when, the word when. So I asked a question at the meet that was like, Martha heard that what? And a quizzer jumped on it and was like, Martha heard, Martha heard, Martha heard. And then the quizzer went, oh, when Martha heard. And then said, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming. And I just wondered how you felt as a question writer about potentially stripping off that when. Because oftentimes it leads to questions of forms that we often write. Like when he was there, um, you might write the chapter verse reference, he was what. When you almost never hear the CVR, when he was what. But it does carry some meaning. And in this one case, I could clearly see the quizzer... Um, was thrown off almost, but then when they realized that there was a when before it, they're like, oh, of course I know this one. Yeah, so, I mean, in terms of, so, I mean, I guess, what are you asking? Are you asking, like, how I feel about the question in in terms of its quality or just the style? Well, well I think sometimes there are words that start a sentence or a thought, like for, F-O-R, or then, or so, that don't add a ton of meaning to it. And so, omitting those... Um, might make the question clearer. It might make it unique faster, whether or not you want that. Um, and so oftentimes as question writers, we do just admit the so and um, then. But like when, I think, has a little bit more meaning. And I just wondered if you think it's good practice to strip that sort of thing um, or if you're kind of robbing the quizzer of context and a meaningful word that really helps them place it in the material. I think, I mean, I, so certainly you're right that not including the win in the question makes the question a little bit harder and it makes it more harder. <laughs> it makes it increasingly har- more harder than if you were removing a different kind of word, like a for or a but. So like staying in verse 20 for a moment, you, you, you mentioned when Martha heard, uh, that what, right? Uh, Martha heard is a two word key phrase. And then towards the end of that verse, but Mary stayed at home, I could say, but Mary stayed where, or I could just say Mary stayed where, because Mary stayed is a two word key phrase, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, d- re- dropping the but is less, not confusing. That's not the right word. I think dropping the but is less difficult for a quizzer to figure out than say dropping the when. But in both cases, I think both of those are a lot simpler to deal with uh, mentally memorizing and reciting and, and answering questions than some of the other things that we do and that we have deemed to be completely reasonable in terms of writing questions. So, you know, for example, uh, some of the split multiple answers, which I know are completely reasonable and everybody loves them except for me. Uh, I, I see, I see a lot of those as being much more, uh, you know, uh, difficult, especially when you've got like an interrogative that flips sides on say a split multiple answer. And I, there was one that actually came up at the meet and I was going to write it down, but I failed, um, cause I was busy, uh, thinking about, uh, ruling and, and so forth. But I was thinking, oh, this is a great example to bring up, but it was basically a split multiple answer where like the when or the what interrogative was on one side of one of the of the multiple answers and then on the other it was flipped to the other side or something and I was thinking and and plus there was a gap between the two multiple answers and I thought like wow that seems like a really difficult question to deal with even though it's completely valid and reasonable and and we've considered that to be an a, a, a perfectly okay way to use a multiple answer I think those are 
significantly more difficult than just dropping the win. Yeah, I can see that. And actually looking at verse 21, there's the, the phrase, if you had been here. And I routinely see questions like a CVR, you had what? Which could be quite confusing because um, it might be implying that you had done something when in actuality nothing actually happened because it's an if clause. <laughs> right, exactly. And the thing is, I look at, at CVRs as basically being the equivalent of quote questions for non-key verse uh, verses, right? Now, granted, you can have a CVR and you should have CVRs for key verse questions. But what I'm saying is you can't, at least in PNW, you can't have a quote question on verse 21, but you can absolutely, you know, have a, a, a CVR, a couple of different CVRs on verse 21 that would be completely reasonable. And so like for me, the, the question that comes from a CVR for something like 21 is almost an afterthought. It's more like I want to know by saying a CVR in 21, I want to know that somebody has actually memorized word perfectly or well, maybe not word perfectly, but somebody has memorized verse 21 in its entirety. And so then you're, you're not as a quizzer when you're jumping on a CVR, you're not jumping on the, you know, you had as being something that you're keying to, but rather you're saying like, okay, I'm jumping on 21. Now in my head, I'm sort of reciting 21 and figuring out where is the you had as I'm, as I'm going through that in my head and going, oh, okay, that's where the you had is. And then working from that point. Sure. I can see that. I just, I kind of try to view um, reference questions as they're no different than an interrogative. They just need a reference to make them unique. And so if I have rules about writing interrogatives, like I think it should flow and I don't want to really lop off an if because it has a lot of meaning to it, then I really shouldn't change tact when writing reference questions. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, I mean, if you're going to have those standards for, in, uh, you know, interrogatives, I think absolutely you should have the same standards for, uh, for chapter verse references and chapter references too. I guess I would just argue that some of what you're talking about with flow, uh, I, I totally agree with you. There are better questions and less good questions, uh, as a result of, of flow, like, like what you're talking about. But then we run right smack dab into, uh, but there's all kinds of exceptions to that for multiple answers where I think the, you know, splitting the multiple answer or inverting, uh, the interrogative location, it, it decreases the flow in, in similar ways, right? Senior, now granted, senior quizzers, uh, very strong quizzers, it, it makes very little difference to them. Uh, but I think it definitely makes it more difficult for uh, junior quizzers. Sure. But it, it is a little bit of a misdirection to say that the existence of something more more uh, hard to understand means that this is fine. <laughs> oh no no no! I, I'm not I'm not drawing any conclusions. I'm just saying I think if I, I'm I'm saying that while some interrogatives are better than others because of flow, and that's entirely true, I wouldn't say we should filter ones that don't have equivalent flow. Because we don't filter multiple answers that also have equivalently less effective flow, if that makes any sense. Sure. Yeah, it does. Cool. All right. Well, should we uh, drop into our district meet number three? Yeah. Do we want to talk about the meet before yes. we get to the specific situations? We should talk about all things. What, what would you like to talk about from the meet? Well, we can't really get to stats as I don't have any fun anecdotes yet. That'll have to be next week. Um, but... Let me say that 
this was a wonderful meet for me because increasingly over time, there are more and more people who handle responsibilities that I've handled in the past. And so I end meets much fresher and less tired, and I go into meets with much less anxiety um, than I have, which is awesome. And I think one example is um, at the end, there's there's people who always take the quiz bibs at the end of the meet. And this meet, they had to leave early. And so the end of the meet came, and I saw bibs lying around, and my gut reaction was, oh, they forgot to handle these, so I, I need to take them home with me. So I asked someone, like, do we have room to take these home? And they're like, oh, it's all taken care of. And I, and I was like, oh, well, this is nice when people have responsibilities, know that they have them, and always take care of them. Um, and it was a case where I, I learned I don't have to assume that I need to pick up the slack for something like this. And that's increasingly happening, and it's awesome. And I am I go home and do things instead of falling asleep immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, so I was the person who had to leave early. Um, so I also had a, a fantastic meet for a different reason. So the previous meets this year, we've been in, in P&W, we've been rolling out and using CBQZ. Uh, a lot this year. We used it last year for district championships, but I think that was the only meet that we used it collectively. I think prior to that, I was the only one who was just using it in my room. Um, so this year we're using it everywhere and we've got all kinds of things like integrated scoreboards and, and live meet stats pages and all this kind of stuff. And so for the first few meets of the year, I was basically running around as sort of like technical support and like quiz master fill-in person, uh, which was really, really important the first couple of uh, quiz meets because, you know, we ran into some technical difficulties and, you know, if I, if I had a dedicated room, I wouldn't have been able to resolve those difficulties. Uh, Dallas was the first meet where I had a dedicated room and I actually had a full schedule and, uh, I was a little bit nervous about that when, when I, when I got there on Friday, because I was thinking, well, what's going to happen if we have a technical problem, but it actually worked out really well. And I was so enjoy, I, I, I missed, I really, really miss quiz mastering and I enjoy it so much that like having the chance to do that, you know, Friday late into the night and then, you know, a good chunk of, of Saturday was really enjoyable and the quizzing that we had, uh, was good. It was solid. There were some quizzes that were really solid, really good quizzing. And it's just a, it's just a joy to be able to quiz master with quizzers who are prepared in the material, who know their stuff. I had a couple of challenges or maybe three challenges in my room. I forget exactly. And they were all intelligent and articulate. And uh, some of them were very compelling. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and it was just a, a fantastic meet. I also, you know, huge props to Dallas and to Sarah and the folks at Dallas who put the meet together. I think lunch was fantastic. The facility was fantastic. Um, I have my, you know, grumblings about the, the Wi-Fi problems that we had, uh, which was, uh, you know, one of our technical issues that we had to overcome. But, uh, by and large, it was, it was just a fantastic meet. And I'm, I'm so very grateful for all of the volunteers, both at Dallas and across the district who made it possible. Yeah. And we have five district meets. Um, and over the course of those five meets, we cover the entire material. And after those five meets, we select our top 20 to head off to Great West. And after the third of those meets, which is what this last one was, is the first really good look at individual standings because quizzers get to drop their worst meet of the first three. And 
we obviously didn't know which one the worst was going to be until the third one's complete. And so now that we have, um, quizzers have a good idea of where they stand. But one thing for quizzers to keep in mind as they maybe have goals to go to Great West for the first time or go back is only – so we've done 20% of the weight for our yearly um, – individual averages, but by the time Great West rolls around, we will have only completed 65%. Um, and there's maths involved, but really what my point here is, two-thirds of the determination for Great West is yet to happen. So, I mean, looking at the averages from one to, you know, whatever, I- I'd say anyone in the top 40 has a reasonable chance to move to 20th. Now, for those, you know, in the between 30 and 40, it's definitely going to take some improvement upon what they've done so far but it's not an unreasonable thing to move into the top 20 and so that's an encouragement to quizzers if this is something you want to do i wouldn't say like oh i'm 28th i'm too far away i would say hey i have more than two-thirds um left and if i do well in a tough material year john when a lot of other quizzers are probably overwhelmed or slacking off or intimidated i can definitely move up in the standings yeah, absolutely. And let me, let me say, you know, I haven't gone to Great West in, in a few years. Uh, but when I did go to Great West, it is enormously fun. I mean, it, it is, the road trip is incredibly fun. The hotels are incredibly fun. The meat is incredibly fun. The entire experience is extremely cool. And so like, you know, if you're a quizzer thinking like, you, you know, let's say you've never been to Great West and you're like, well, oh, is it really all that great? You know, do I really care? Trust me, you care. It, it, you should care. It's really fun, uh, to go to. Uh, and so if you're, you know, in that, you know, top 40, uh, area, I would definitely encourage you to, you know, double down uh, in the next meet, and uh, I think it'll be really worth your, your your time and investment. Definitely, it's a fun meet. There's lots involved. Get a road trip in vans. Get to know a lot of other quizzers. Play a lot of fun games. We'll stay a night in a hotel. They have a really cool pool there. Then you're going to have you're you're going to be a part of a really high level of quizzing. Uh, meet all the cool Canadians, and um, yeah, go to a different country. And yeah, it's a fun it's a fun meet. I enjoyed. My years at Great West. Well, so let's dive a little bit into some of the interesting questions and scenarios and rulings and stuff that came out of uh, Meet 3, shall we? All right. Do you have CBQZ ready to type in stuff to search, Griffin? Oh, I always have CBQZ ready to type in stuff and search. All right. So I, why don't you search for the word withdrew? I, I asked a interrogative, he withdrew to where? And that's from 1154. He withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim. Um, and a quizzer jumped on he withdrew to or something like that. And the first thing that they said was he withdrew to a mountainside by himself. Now, yeah. I was conflicted for probably a bad reason. Um, and my conflict was due to the fact that in John 6, verse like 13 or something, it says mountainside. And in verse 15, it says mountain by himself. And so in my mind, I didn't know if the if I could say the quizzer was in a different context. Um, when in reality, they were in probably one of two different contexts and then probably also incorrect. Um, but I just, I didn't have the confidence to say that they were incorrect for being out of context. And I don't know if there is a succinct way you could tell me how you would have ruled that might help me be more confident about, about that fact or 
Yeah, so I mean, it's an interrogative, so it's not a chapter reference. He withdrew is key. Withdrew to is also key. And then, of course, the three words together are key to 1154. Uh, instead, he withdrew to where a region near the wilderness. Uh, in 615, withdrew where again to a mountain by himself. Uh, yeah, so I get the whole context thing. I think I would go with it. So, so I think I would have, I think I would have basically gone mountain by himself, looked it up, seen 615 and said, you're out of context. But if it was challenged, I would overrule the challenge because, you know, let's say mountain was within context of 1154, the word mountain or something. Uh, or I don't know. It's really hard because then you have to go like, well, but mountain by himself, like we, we're not going to say a single word puts you out of context, but when you say something like again to a mountain by himself, or even just a mountain by himself, that phrase is awfully, awfully key to 615. So it seems to me certainly enough to say out of context on that alone. But even if, if there was an equal phrase, like in 1152 or something, uh, I, I think the answer is demonstrably different, right? Uh, a mountain, uh, going to a mountain is different than a region near the wilderness. Um, and I think those things are, are appreciably different that the answer is just immediately incorrect, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think I, I definitely messed, messed this one up because I called the quizzer correct in, initially. And then after a challenge, accepted the challenge and called the quizzer incorrect, which is always a worse feeling as a quizzer because it feels like you had points and then they were taken away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I was definitely thrown off by the fact that the quizzer said, um, withdrew to a mountain side by himself, which was combining two separate contexts. Now, yeah. again, in hindsight, neither of which were the correct one. Yeah. Um, well, and mountain side comes from 6-3, and then mountain is from 6-15 and a couple other places in 4. Um, so the difference between mountainside and mountain to me is probably not that big of a deal. I mean, mountainside, yes, it's a unique word. It only happens in six, three, but that one word isn't enough for me to say, okay, the, the, the quizzer's out of context, but saying, you know, to a mountain by himself, I think that's, that's very out of context, you know, at that point, that's a very... That's more than a single word. It's obvious that the person is quoting from verse 15 from chapter 6. So, yeah, that's where, that's where I'd go with that one. I mean, it's probably obvious, but because they never said to a mountain by himself, in my mind I was saying, can I rule the quizzer out of context for saying mountainside? I don't think I can. Can I rule the quizzer out of context for saying by himself? And I was unsure about that also. And so now combining them, can you say that they were quoting from 615? Probably, but they didn't say anything more than by himself perfectly from 615. True. Yeah, that's true. I can see the argument. I think, I think they were clearly quoting from chapter six. I think that's unambiguous. Um, but you're right. I mean, are they quoting from, you know, which part of chapter six are they quoting from, from? And that's true. So like, you know, is it, is it, is it a somewhat ambiguous ruling as to whether they're out of context or not, or whether you can de deliberately claim that they're out of context or not? It's like, yeah, I can see that argument. And which is why I think, I, I think you would, you'd go back to the, the primacy argument of like mountain and region near the wilderness are, are two different answers. And so they'd just be incorrect regardless of context. Gotcha. I think that the combination that made me question myself was mountainside by himself. 
and not being able to say definitively which incorrect context they were in. Um, I didn't know if merely saying that they were not in the correct context was enough or if I had to know which context they were actually in. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, all right, so that's one. So the next one, um, the answer to a situation question, who said it, was many in the crowd. And the quizzer got crowd but never got many in the. And I was asking your thoughts on this as well as on there are, like, I feel fairly confident that many in the, like, it's part of the answer. It has meaning. Um, I think you should have to provide it. Um, but there are lots of other potential, like, namings of people, like the crowds, the people, um, some others, where it's kind of a tough distinction to say, like, did they give an incorrect answer? Does it have the same meaning? Um, like, some and others. Um, I guess others does have some meaning to it. But you could make the argument that, like, some and people, there's no, like, functional difference to it. But for the most part, I want to require pretty close to what the actual who said it or to whom was it said that the text is asking for and not fall back a lot on what the meaning behind the words is. Because while we do think about the meaning of the words some, we don't want to deeply be interpreting um, which people were there and which people were not there, if if at all possible. Yeah, I agree. The The thing I'd look at with with this specific example. So, I mean, you know, going to the general example first, you know, you're talking about some or others or, you know, people generically like, like, yeah, I, I, I'd be pretty flexible on that to the point where I almost wouldn't want to write a situation question that was that vagueable answerable, if that makes any sense. But Mm -hmm. in this particular verse, verse 31, I think there is a logical not just logical, there is a concrete difference between crowd and many in the crowd, right? So you're saying crowd is, there's, there, there's a group of people, right? We, you imagine a crowd, you know, a sea of people or whatever, you know, a hundred people standing on the side of a hill or sitting on the side of the hill or whatever, wherever they happen to be, right? And that's, that's the crowd. It's those hundred, those, those hundred people, right? But then when you say many in the crowd, you're saying it's some, percentage of the whole you're not saying the entire crowd you're saying it's a portion of the crowd you're saying it's not a small portion because you're using the word many versus like some or a few in the crowd or something like that so i would i would argue that many in the crowd is you know is is factually different than crowd and factually different than a few in the crowd you know, so like if, if you said many in the crowd is the right answer and you said a few in the crowd, I I'd almost want to count them incorrect uh, and probably would count them incorrect because it's 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 a different it's a different answer. Right now, if you said uh, if you said something like some in the crowd, because some is much more vague, uh, I might give you time to turn around and change that or lots in the crowd or something like that. I would probably consider that to be good enough as many in the crowd. But yeah, I think the difference between crowd and many in the crowd is, is important enough that it needs to be included. Certainly like, like look, I look at it from the context. I, I would look at it from the context of like an interrogative question. If many in the crowd was the answer to an interrogative question, would I accept crowd as being sufficient to answer the question. I don't think I would. Makes sense. Moving on. In uh, 1020, now, my my memory isn't perfect, so I think this is the question, but I was asking for, like, he is, is demon-possessed and raving mad. 
Um, and the quizzer said he is a devil and demon-possessed. And I was curious if you would consider the quizzer incorrect at that point. He is a devil and demon-possessed. Uh, it's like a, uh, what do we call this, like a multiple-answer chapter-verse reference on 1020 he is or something? Yeah, it also might have been a situation question. Okay, see, that kind of makes a difference. Um at least in my mind. I don't know if this is entirely rule book kosher. I'd have to think about this and, and study a little bit. But so if it's a multiple answer chapter verse reference, he is, and you say devil and demon possessed, I would say that's incorrect. Um, I, I think that's that, that to me is definitely incorrect. If it's a, if it's a situation question, then it's like, well, does devil put them out of context? I don't think so. Or, or you know, certainly not demon, because, I mean, a demon's right there, and then demon's in 21 and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, if it's a situation question, I think I would, I, I, I don't think it's an, it's, it's insufficient to be counted correct, but I don't think they're incorrect yet. Interesting. I, I think I probably would agree with you, but let me pose this in a more generalized way. Um, how much should the quiz master like, if what, how much should they be working to determine whether what a quizzer has said is not incorrect versus it's not one of the answers I need? So, for example, what if, a, you know, on that same CVRMA, a quizzer said he is a man? Well, it could be that we know from the context that he is a man, but you could also argue that I'm asking for two answers, demon-possessed, raving mad, man is not one of them, Um is it too harsh to say incorrect in this generalized hypothetical? Again, in terms of the multiple answer chapter verse reference question type or situation. Yes. So in terms of, of the CVRMA, then no, I don't think it's too harsh. I think if you say man, then I think the answer is incorrect. That's, I mean, yes, he is a man. Sure. Uh, you know, he's many things, right? Uh, he was, a, you know, the, he, he could be many uh, sorts of things, uh, but you're asking for specific answers. And so like demon possessed and raving mad, I think if you say devil, you're wrong. If you say man, I think you're wrong. If you say, you know, likes going to the opera, I think you're wrong. Right. Um, but I think there's a little bit of flexibility that we can provide for somebody who's trying to quote a uh, quote, a quote basically for a set. That makes sense. I mean, I, I think sometimes I'm, I definitely want to fig like decide if what the quizzer said is like how incorrect. You know, if I'm if my answer is he went to where and the answer is to Washington State and the quizzer says he went to Seattle. Well, I in on one hand I don't know that they are incorrect. I would let I would definitely require them to get to Washington State, but I don't know if that's even a determination I should be making. Like they said something different. Um Maybe or maybe not it, the more specific thing was actually the case. But in this kind of verbatim, text-based, non-interpretation question that I'm asking, if they say anything except Washington State, they would be wrong. Yeah, true. But I'm, I'm, I don't know that it goes that far. It's almost like class theory, right? So, like, Seattle is a subclass – not a subclass. It's a subcomponent of, uh, of Washington State, right? So you're still talking about 
a place and you're also not talking about San Francisco, right? Or, or California. So sure. like if the, if the answer is Washington and I say San Francisco, I'm wrong. If the answer is Washington and I say California, I'm wrong. But if I say, you know, if the answer is Washington and I say Seattle, maybe I think the inverse is even more easy to justify, right? So if the answer is Seattle and I say Washington, I'm just not specific yet. Like I'm still, I'm still in fact, quite right. I'm just not right enough, right? So like if we're looking at he is demon-possessed and raving man, if somebody said crazy or insane or uh, a little nuts in the head or something like that or, you know, that sort of thing, it's like I'm I'm not wrong. I'm just not right enough yet. Uh, and I could go the other direction with specificity and say something along the lines of like clinically diagnosed to be, you know, schizophrenic or something. And it's like, well, is that you know, that's, that's not <laughs> wrong from, obviously I wouldn't say that in the context of quizzing, right? But if somebody did say that, it's like they're not wrong yet. You know, they're just not right enough yet, you know, kind of, kind of thing, right? Interesting. Yeah, this is an interesting one for me of just how much interpretation should the quiz master be doing because, um, we don't require interpretation from the quizzer. We also don't want to unduly count quizzers wrong and be crazy exact, exacting on, everything that they say you know right um so but i mean in this in this particular case i mean if i'm if there's ever a chance where i'm not completely confident that the quizzer is wrong like they've provided a wrong answer um i will let their time continue i'll let them continue to answer um and even if they get to the right answer, then I'll, I, then I, you know, the time, the timer stops or they sit down or, or I say, have a seat for a second. And I give myself a few seconds to, you know, dive into it a little bit more to, to figure it out. So as a quiz master, I'm not having to make those kinds of determinations necessarily in real time. That makes sense. Moving on. Next one. My notes are a little bit weak here, but from 9.15, I have Pharisees slash others. So my assumption was that it was a situation question asking for who said it from 9.15. Um, or, no, maybe not a situation question, because I don't think the Pharisees say anything in this verse. Um, but I think my question was, the answer I needed was Pharisees, and a quizzer said others. And it kind of goes back to the same interpretation thing. Others is kind of an ambiguous group of people. Um, especially when quoted without a context, really. But um, others does appear in the material, and it's definitely not the answer here. And so, like, part of me wants to just rule the quizzer incorrect at the moment they say others, but another part of me wonders if that's too harsh. Yeah, I think that one is too harsh. I think if, so the answer is Pharisees. If they provide the answer of others, I would, it, they're not correct enough, um, but I would give them their time to try to get more specific. Okay. Um, this one, again, I need to take better notes, but I remember the question that I wrote, that I had was from 816, what are true? And the answer was my decisions are true. Well, in the next verse, it says the testimony of two witnesses is true. Um, and I didn't really know, I know what the quizzer quoted first was mostly from verse 17, but was kind of a mixing of the two verses. Um, now obviously... You can't mix them perfectly because one's a plural and one's a singular. But let's say a quizzer said, my decision is true. Um, like, is there anything that they could say of that nature that would lead you to call them incorrect? 
my decision is true. And so I asked the question, what are true? Correct. Okay. And they said, my decision is true. Yes. Well, I probably say again, um, and, and of course the easy part, the part is they have to give me plural of decisions, uh, because it's a unique word. So they, so decision wouldn't be wrong, but it would not be right enough yet. Um, so I'd, I'd give them, you know, the rest of their time to get to decisions. And if they never, but if so, if they, if they change, if they change my decision is true to, and then eventually get to my decisions, but they don't say the word are, I would count them correct. Gotcha. So you wouldn't necessarily require them con- to connect the two because you had gotten out the are true as part of your question. I think so. Yeah. And then appreciably, I don't know. I'm trying to, I, it's hard to, you know, judge it outside of a context of some other example, but I may not necessarily even require the R uh, in a different context, even if I didn't say it. Um, but I'm, okay. I'm less confident of that because I'd, I'd, I'd want to see that other context before I could really know for sure. No, actually, I think I'm remembering closer to what um, this actually was. So I think the quizzer said something like, the testimonies of two witnesses are true. Okay, interesting. Well, then I would count them incorrect. Because they because they included the phrase are true and are now like answering the question as asked versus incorrectly. You know what I mean? Well, then it, I don't think that, I don't think that part really matters. I think what, what matters is, is, you know, you, cause they're obviously in context, right? They're, they're one verse down, right? Uh, in 17, but your question is from 16. The answer that you're looking for is my decisions. Uh, the testimony of two witnesses is is a, is a wrong answer. It is not my decisions. Um, so even though they're in context, they are incorrect at that point. So you would not consider them to just like be in context the whole time. And because they basically, well, keep in mind, context is fine. So long as you don't provide a wrong answer, but if you're in context and you provide a wrong answer, you're wrong. I mean, even if you're, if you stay within the same verse, right? If you provide the wrong answer, you're wrong. Sure, sure. I just, in my head, like the quizzer that says my decision is true and the quizzer that says the testimonies of two witnesses are true has misquoted things in this context to the same degree. And yet one of them is going to get them counted wrong immediately. And the other one is going to let them continue answering. That's true. That's true. But I mean, yeah, but I mean, quizzing at that sort of level is all about the technicality. Sure, sure. And like, I think the way that you've laid it out makes sense to me. It just, in my head, it's incorrect immediately versus you can continue answering that's really swinging on the R versus the is, which feels like I don't want it to swing on that. I See, and I don't think it is uh, swinging on the R versus is. I think the R and the is are sort of irrelevant. I think it's more swinging on the my decision versus my decisions versus the testimony of two witnesses, right? Or or the testimonies of two witnesses or whatever, right? The sure. the idea, it, it's not about the plural versus singular. It's about the the answer is is wrong versus it's just not quite right enough. Yeah. All right. Next one is going to be very interesting. So 1016... Um... I had the question, they too will listen to what? Answer being my voice. And the quizzer said his voice, which pronouns can carry a lot of importance because you could say in this, in here, his is not referring to my, and so it's referring to someone else's voice, and that's incorrect. But that feels like 
almost too much interpretation and too harsh, but I don't know that it is. I don't know how I feel about this one. Um, this is a very interesting question. Um, hmm. Cause there, there are times when it's like, he will go to them and the quizzer says he will go to us or something. And it's, if you like look in the text, it's, you can assume that it's referring to an entirely different group of people, but it's often a pronoun that the quizzer has just misquoted. And I don't know if I can extrapolate it out to, well, they referred to an entirely different group of people and that's incorrect. Right. Well, and, and in, in particular to verse 16 here, like my voice is talking about, you know, it's, 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 um, it's Jesus talking, I think, if I'm remembering correctly here. And, you know, he's talking about they too will listen to my voice versus the quizzers saying his voice clarify his is Jesus, right? You know, like, like if you're going to ask them that they would clarify to Jesus, right? Versus saying my clarify my was like, well, Jesus, right? So yeah, like it, the pronoun in either case clarifies to Jesus. Does the pronoun sufficient enough difference between my and his make them incorrect? And I think I'm talking myself into counting both as correct, maybe. Like counting his voice as correct or letting them continue to get to my? I, I think I would let them, con- in, in, no, in, no matter what, no matter how I would roll, I would definitely give them the time. I'm not going to count them correct immediately by saying his voice. Um, I would let the 30 seconds run out. But then the question is, if they never get to my... Are they are they not correct enough yet by the end of their 30 seconds? And I think I would probably lean towards saying that they are correct. Interesting. Yeah, I I always want I think I always end up being fairly lenient when it comes to these pronouns, because like the main word is like voice, you know, but um, I do. I don't like it when quizzers are just able to potentially rifle through pronouns in search of the correct one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, then they wouldn't be able to go something like, you know, their voice or her voice or something like that, you know. But I think the difference between my and his is appreciably close enough that I would probably, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think I would probably count them correct and then see if there's a challenge um, and give me a little bit more time to think about it a little bit more, I guess. Sure. That's my bit. Well, so mine came from a little bit earlier in uh, verse 10. It comes from verse 2. Uh, and I forget exactly the words are ex- exactly. It, it, so verse 2 reads as follows. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And I think it was something like, who is the shepherd of the sheep or something like that? And the the quizzer jumped and said, Jesus, and then changed it to the one who enters by the gate within their 30 second time frame. I ended up counting them correct. And it was, uh, it was challenged and said, well, hang on a second. This is actually Jesus talking. And Jesus specifically says that he is the gate. He's not the person entering by the gate. Uh, even though we think of Jesus as the shepherd of the sheep in this case, in particular, in verse two, Jesus is not the shepherd. He's in fact the gate. He says so himself, right? Uh, down in verse seven. 
And so, like, like, first of all, it was a brilliant challenge. It was absolutely spot on. I, I, I ended up overruling my ruling and counting the quizzer incorrect, which always makes me feel bad for the exact same reason that, that it makes you feel bad that you were talking about before. But the, the challenge was absolutely spot on. And I thought it was, was well articulated, uh, based on what was there. And it was very clear. Like, I, I, I couldn't ignore, uh, what the challenge was raising, but it was very interesting to me because it basically raised up the idea of saying, I have to kind of interpret theologically what verse two is, is referring to. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd. Who is that in this particular, uh, material? And it, it is somewhat interpretive, even though, I mean, Jesus says down in verse seven, I'm the gate. You know, he doesn't say I'm not the shepherd, but he says, I'm the gate. Uh, and sort of a, with the assumption being he's therefore not the shepherd. Uh, therefore, you know, the, the, the quizzer was incorrect in, in verse two immediately and did not have the opportunity to correct themselves. So I just thought it was a very interesting scenario. But what do you think about that one? All right. So I have the DD rule in front of me and I have, I'm coming to a couple conclusions. The first is when the rule book says that, um, it's an invalid question if it requires interpretation by the quizzer, I think we can kind of assume why that's written. Like, um, we're not asking essay questions or anything of the quizzers. Like we're asking verbatim from the text and the, you know, we shouldn't ask like, who is the one who enters by the gate and be needing a Jesus or God type answer, right? We shouldn't, we can't do that. And I think that's clear. However, when you flip it, flip it and it's the quiz ma- you're in the quiz master's chair, I think almost every ruling, the quiz master is having to make interpretations <laughs> of what the quizzer said and what um, implications it has for being in context or out of context or correct or incorrect or not yet correct. And if you look like at bits of the deity rule, um, the quiz master is absolutely going to have to do interpretation. Like one point it says, if a pronoun is used in the text to name the deity, any of the names for that person of the deity within context um, will be considered acceptable, right? So if in context it refers to he, um, and also within context it refers to Jesus and the son and other names of Jesus, well, if the quizzer says any of them as their clarification, they'll be counted correct. Well, the quizmaster is going to have to interpret if the quizzer has, um, like, maybe said a name of a different deity. You're going to have to interpret that. If you look at um, number D under the deity rule, it says, if there's a special name given to the deity um, which imparts specific character qualities or attributes, the specific name must be given. The quizzer may not state any other such names which are not in context, even if they refer to the same person as the deity. Um Right, so you're gonna have to interpret whether um, the bread of life or the spirit of the living God, like which person of the deity it refers to, and um, other things related to that. And then the last point is when a quizzer gives other names for the same person of the deity used within context, these should be allowed to be clarified within 30 seconds when a more specific answer is needed. So th- that's almost what's what happened here, right? If the quizzer had said God um, as the answer to who is the shepherd of the sheep. Um, the quiz master has to say, like, is this incorrect? Do I need them to be more specific? And it's all interpretation. <laughs> and so um, now also if either the question writer or the quiz master is not very, very confident about their interpretation, you probably should pitch the question, right? If you're 70% sure in this case that the one who enters by 
the gate is um is not Jesus. Well, maybe that's enough that you're like I'm kind of requiring some interpretation um, by the quizzer, but uh, to toss it out. But if you are reasonably sure of of your interpretation, I think it's totally fine to be doing that as a quiz master. Yeah, yeah. I tend to try to steer as far away from interpretation as possible, but I think you raise some extremely valid points. Yeah. I mean, I think the simplest thing, which would also kind of cuts both ways because I find that there are desires and I have the same desire when I'm writing rules or thinking of new rules um, to have things be more consistent and easier on the quiz master. But in doing so, you often create some scenarios where they're more harsh on the quizzer. And so like in this example, you could definitely write the rule that says, you know, if you have a special name, like the one who enters by the gate, you can't give any other stuff, even if it's not a special name. So like both God and Jesus would be considered incorrect in this case because we're looking for a special name, the one who enters by the gate. It'd be clear by the quiz master, they will not have to do any interpretation, but it is definitely more exacting for the quizzer because the quizzer is not allowed, would not be allowed to give general names of the same deity. You know, and so it's kind of which do I value more? Require less interpretation on the quizmaster's part, and probably result in more consistent rulings among quizmasters of all districts. But I do create some scenarios where it's going to be more harsh on the quizzer. Yeah, yeah, totally understandable. Well, should right. we move on to five one? Um, I don't know if we have enough time to hit five one, but I think we probably have time to hit our rules ideas. Ooh, I don't know, man. Should we I hit five I, one and see how it goes? <laughs> Let's hit five one because uh, I think the rules ideas we we need more than two minutes to to hit the rules ideas. All right, and I've had some conversations about five one that unfortunately are not recorded for the benefit of everyone. But um, the crux of the matter is from John five one PNW does have two chapter references written. There might be more. I don't really know, um, but they are Jesus went up to Jerusalem when and Jesus went up to Jerusalem why and. The question that Griffin posed to me is, for most of quizzing, we deem inter- inter- the interrogative word, so the word inserted into the question, um, as kind of not important or less important. I mean, it's not part of the material. Um, but in, this, in these two questions, the only thing differentiating them from each other is the interrogative word, which is kind of by implication saying, hey, they've got to be pretty important if you can write two totally separate questions based solely on the interrogative word. And did I, did I get what kind of you said, Griffin? Well, yeah, I think we might want to get specific about these questions though, because Jesus went up to Jerusalem is a five word phrase that happens in two thirteen and five one, which means it can't be an interrogative um, because a question has to be key for a standard question within the first five words. Yeah. So these are both chapter references. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, in this case, as a chapter reference, then the interrogative doesn't matter because uh, you know which one you're talking about based on uh, based on the fifth word. So, I mean, obviously, you would write the interrogative correctly, right, based on on whether you're in chapter two or chapter five, based on the reference that you're providing. But but by the time you get to the interrogative, the interrogative still doesn't matter. It does. So, if my question is Jesus went up to Jerusalem when, the answer is sometime later. So if the quizzer gets up and says, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals, I can't prompt them for their question yet because they haven't oh, said sometime later. because they haven't. Uh, I get it. Okay, so it's really about 5-1 because there is a when preceding and a, and a, and a why 
post seeding. Yep. If that's a word. I get it. Okay. Suck seeding. Yeah. I like my, I like post seeding better, but anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I see where you're going with this and thus the interrogative becomes important. Yeah. And, and so I, th- I think my argument about this reflecting back a couple of weeks or whenever it was is more, I don't necessarily feel compelled to make the interrogative I don't, ha- I don't have a strong opinion about the interrogative word itself being important or not important. I think if it is important, it needs to be universally important. And if it's not important, it needs to be universally not important. Yep. And I think that, and I think that makes sense on the face of it, but I do think you're overthinking this because inter- interrogative words are different. Like when and why and where have incredibly specific uses in language. And I'm sure we could get into a rat's nest of where quiz questions subvert English language and grammar. But um, that said, like, I think everyone would say Jesus went up to Jerusalem sometime later is a when and cannot possibly be um, any other interrogative word. Now, the interrogative word what, now maybe also in the English language, but especially in Bible quizzing, is a more kind of vague interrogative. We're not quite sure what it's asking for just based on the use of the word what. And so I think that's why you will run into some cases where we might accept both what or whom, which is kind of um, can feel inconsistent, right? When there are multiple interrogative words that are interchangeable sometimes, but then in this case, there is one specific here and one specific there. Sure. Well, I mean, right. John chapter one with the what versus who referring to uh you know uh the word right is the word uh and i forget the i forget the exact uh question but there was it was a multiple answer question where one part of the question was a what and the other part was a who and we asked a multiple answer using the interrogative what and my argument is that if the interrogative is important uh, based on the, you know, the chapter two, chapter five disambiguation. Well, really just the chapter five disambiguation of the, of the forward versus the latter, uh, or the preceding versus the proceeding, proceeding. Um, then I think we can't have a multiple answer that asks a who and a what. Well, well, definitely. Right. So, I mean, we have, there's a phrase that says full of the spirit and life or something like that. And mm-hmm. I will not write full of what or full of whom I will write full how is the only way I write that multiple answer because I think that writing it as full of who or full of what um, can only take one answer and would be very misleading to the quizzer to call it a multiple answer. What did you say? Full of the spirit? Yes. Spirit and life. Okay. 663. I see where you are. Full of the spirit and life. Right. And spirit. Well, we've got it grammatically capitalized in 63. Of course, in the original, in the original text, uh, there were no capital letters. So, um, yeah, but I'm assuming the spirit is referring to, you know, the, the, the Holy spirit, which is a who and life is a what. So yeah, you couldn't say, you know, full of what, uh, the spirit and life because the spirit is, requires a who interrogative. So, I mean, I, I think, I think we're in agreement here. I think we're in agreement that basically the interrogative does matter and therefore it does need to matter universally. And exactly. But I think that. The interrogative needing to matter universally does not mean that there is only one correct interrogative for a particular question. 
That's true. That's true. I think there are some where, you know, a what can uh, can work in a, in place of a when sometimes or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but sure. Yeah, and I think that's the best sum up is I I agree that it, it, it makes sense that the interrogative word should either always matter or uh, I mean, it's almost too strong to say, like, doesn't matter because you can't just throw anyone in there. But I think it can both um, matter. But there's also not just one and only one ex- one that matters, if that makes right. sense, for a given question. Fair enough. Well, so, Jeremy, if you're listening, I think you win. Um, uh, so that sounds pretty cool. All right. So what's 925 about? All right. This one should be pretty quick. Um, did I say 925? Uh, yeah, 925 is what you have in the notes. All right. Well, you won't like it because of where it's how it's structured, but I don't, I don't, the phrase is whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. Um, and my, my question is, I don't know what, and with the answer being whether he is a sinner or not. Yeah. Is that a multiple answer or is it not? I'm basically asking the whether or either or constructs. It is not a multiple answer because you can't flip the parts around. Right. Um, so in other, in other words, where is the, where is the split, I guess? I, and, and split's probably not the, not the right word, but what are the two parts, right, um, of the answer? So the answer in totality is whether he is a sinner or not is the total answer. So are there two in, uh, flip aroundable parts, right? And there are not, right? Because, um, you're saying, is he a sinner or not? You can't say, uh, not a sinner. Because I mean, and obviously the 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 language gets a little bit convoluted here because you almost have to repeat something that isn't there, right? Whether he is a sinner or not a sinner, right? So you can't flip that around and say uh, whether he is a. I'm not saying it correctly. Uh, not one. Let's put the word one in there so that we have an object, right? So whether he is a sinner or not one, you can't say not one. Or whether he is a sinner. But you could say, like, if you ask the question, and of course you couldn't because it, this really makes it scrambled. But if you said, I don't know whether he is what, if that would actually flow correctly, right? I think that becomes the multiple answer question. But the way it's written in here can't be a multiple answer question. Sure. And I definitely agree with you. But I have heard people talk about multiple answers and kind of share verbiage. Like they will say the two answers here are... I don't know whether he is a sinner. I don't know whether he is not. Whereas to yeah. me, the shared part of whether he is should like has to be part of the question if you're going to claim that those are the two answers. But I see the argument for saying like there's two things happening here. Well, and the thing that the thing about these examples is there are oftentimes when we're talking about these examples and trying to figure out is it a multiple answer or a or not. It's sort of like if we really want a multiple answer question, there's a glaringly better multiple answer staring us right in the face. Uh, whether he is a what is a multiple answer question. And now granted, it's not a chapter verse reference multiple answer question. It's just a straight multiple answer question because whether he is key. But I mean, that to me is a really straightforward question, right? Whether he is a what is incredibly clear. It flows. It's not split up. It is like I would say almost unarguably a better question than I don't know what. Uh, okay. And and so let's just write that one. And that makes sense. Now it is, it does happen to be invalid because of the um, unfortunate rule, because you'd be asking a positive question. And there's a negative answer of yes, not. that's true. But that's true. Ignore, that's true. Ignoring that. 
we get your point. So if I had a phrase, I have either fish or bread, you consider I have either what as a multiple answer because you could swap them around to your heart's content. Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. If you can take the two answers and you can flip the order of the answer, and it, or if there's more than, you know, if there's three answers, five answers, whatever, if you can flip the order and it is, it is appreciably the same thing, that, that ultimately is the multiple answer. If you've got, and it's kind of like a litmus test for me, it's not a perfect, you know, 100% always correlates to that, but I'm usually highly suspicious of questions where the answer can't be flipped around. Like I want to take, and it's usually very easily solved, right? It's usually easily solved by just taking one or two words out of the beginning part of the answer and putting them into the question. And then you're fine. It's just that in 25 verse 25 here, the, 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 the sort of the, the def, not definitional, what the, the, the base language here is, I don't know whether he is a sinner or not. It's just that because of the way we speak in English, we take the I don't know and we 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 decide to put it at the end. But thus, that's why we have the comma, right? Um, so putting the I don't know in the front, it's like I think all all we have to do is to you know shape it between an interrogative and a multiple answer is just where do we make that cut between the question and the uh, and the answer. Makes sense. And I'm going to be nitpicky on one more thing. You said, if you can't flip the order, it kind of raises some warning bells for you. So what about a phrase like, he got up and went home, where he obviously did one thing first before the other thing happened? Right. I agree. So the it makes me a little bit suspicious, but I'm totally okay with it, because uh, even though uh, chronologically those things happen in an A comes before B order... The fact is you can grammatically say B before A, even though logically, you know, chronologically, it, it doesn't work that way. Gotcha. And yeah, I think it makes sense to raise um, logic over chronology when it comes to Bible quizzing multiple answer questions. <laughs> right, 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 right. All right. Well, that's all I have on that one. All right, cool. Well, that was a very entertaining uh, uh, podcast uh Unfortunately, we didn't have time to get to our rules ideas, but we didn't think we were. So we're going to save those and uh, for the next podcast, which will be next week. So in closing, I want to remind everybody that we would love to hear questions, comments, concerns, nagging doubts, fears, and paranoia from everyone uh, who is listening to the podcast. We like hearing from you. Uh, so please email us. Especially at if... Especially if you disagree with something that we have just talked about. Yes, very much. If you if you have a disagreeing comment or email, you go to the front of the line. Uh, absolutely, every time. Uh, we want to hear from your disagree. Now, certainly, if you just want to tell us hi or something, we'd like to hear from you. But but definitely, if you disagree, we really really want to hear from you. Uh, please contact us at iq at cbqz.org. So that is iq for inside quizzing at cbqz.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Inside Quizzing. And with that, I will say thanks all for listening. Yep. Thanks all for listening. Have a good night. Good night.